welcome everybody back to this episode of the EM Over Easy podcast. The whole crew is here. I'm Andy Little, joined by John, Drew, and Tanner. Gents, how we doing? Excellent. So good. Andy, I'm curious though, because uh, you know it's been a while since we recorded together. Were we away from this episode of EM Over Easy? Because you just welcomed us back to this episode of EM Over Easy. And thus the shenanigans begin within the first 30 seconds. This is why we love Drew. All right. So for this segment, I wanted to ask a couple questions. The first one being, it's about this perception of how is the emergency department or EM portrayed in television? When you think about the portrayal of emergency medicine in cinema, TV, movie, or other aspects, what is your favorite medical drama? And did they get emergency medicine right? Gosh, favorite drama. So I, I... Just by that alone, you're taking Scrubs out of the mix, which is has never been my favorite show, although time and time again is referenced as being the most medically accurate. But my take on that is it's most medically accurate because it involves so little actual medicine that they did a good job of getting the medicine part right. So I'll give them that. You know, the show that connected with me, and I think my guess is John is going to say the same. I mean, ER. Right. I grew up and probably all of us grew up watching ER. But in my formative years, when I was trying to think about in junior high and high school, like, what am I going to be with my life and watching John Carter as a medical student, really essentially just before I was thinking about formalizing that as my direction and and all that. And to be fair, I actually think ER got a lot of things right. I think they got the stress of the job right. I think they got the high points and the low points, how sometimes the job is monotonous, sometimes it's super exciting, how consultants like to come down to the ED and think that they're God's gift to the emergency department. And and I say that Yes, tongue in cheek, but also not tongue in cheek, because I don't want to upset all the consultants out there listening to our show. Like, I, I appreciate you and I love you. I also watched a lot of uh, what the hell was the other drama that was on forever? Mash. Grey's Anatomy, thanks. Yeah. Ash. What the hell is Ash? Mash. Oh, I said Mash. Ash. Oh, Mash. Oh, Mash. Different. Yeah, I did watch a lot of Mash. Also watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. We, we'll, we're going to put that on the back burner because that got a lot of things wrong about medicine, although I still found it to be a really entertaining show. That one, that one got weird. It got weird. John? Oh, definitely withdrew on this one. Or landed at the, the right time at kind of peak of TV watching and influenced the, the cool part of the younger characters that you could recognize, like the, the John Carters and the Lucys, um, coupled with like the, the more senior folks in the show at the time that you could kind of see as almost like your mentors or your parents and how they, they kind of ran things. I definitely agree that they, they really tried to get a lot right. And as a paramedic for a time during that show, one of our favorite things to do was actually to pick apart, right. The medical things that they got wrong. But I think on the whole, they did a lot more for emergency medicine than they did to to harm it, I, I think, for sure. They really were probably one of the primary drivers to, to get emergency medicine into the forefront of people, just like emergency did for EMS. It really, it really got the public's attention. And I, I think regardless of any medical mishaps that may have been in the show, and there were quite a few, the overall positives from it really did a lot for the profession. I, and I'm with Drew. I think they did foreshadow a lot of the things that we see now in emergency medicine. I, I vividly remember the episode 
where violence was a key theme where, you know, a mentally challenged patient ended up stabbing one of the residents and a medical student. And I remember that episode and I think about that episode sometimes. Yeah, right. For for any of you that haven't watched. Yeah, it came um, out that episode's so, aired in nineteen ninety eight, yeah. so it's only twenty five years old. Yeah. 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 Right, exactly. I, I, mean, I, I figure like, I spoiler it. So. The amount of boarding and, you know, capacity issues that the the hospital had at that time in in ER that gosh we're seeing on a daily basis now. I mean, there's so many things that were really like still incredibly accurate today. Yeah, I mean, my answer is going to be the same. It's ER. And the funny thing for me though is I didn't even watch it before med school. I had I, like it never really was on my radar when it was on TV. <laughs> and in medical school I got a couple of the DVD box sets of like the first few seasons. And I didn't even finish those because it just, I didn't have a ton of time to watch things back then anyways. But I actually started it with my wife and we watched it all the way through from the first season, episode one, all the way to the very end. And it was, it was pretty incredible. And not only was it great for me just to kind of see the origin story and how everything was kind of all these references that you all have, you know, been talking about for years, but then it was fun to watch my wife because we actually would pause frequently and she'd be like, what about this? How real is that? And it was so, so fun because, you know, she's not in the emergency department. She doesn't know what my life is like all that much. I mean, she's never been there. So anyways, yeah, it was just so, it was so cool to like sit there and pause and like talk about this is realistic. This is not oh my gosh, they hit on this theme perfectly. And she's like, I didn't even realize that was a theme. But now that you say it, I understand like where you're coming from. And so, yeah, it was, it was I mean, such a great show. And some of the topics that they hit on, like at that stage, like, I mean, they hit on like HIV, AIDS, LGBTQ2, all, like all that kind of stuff in those episodes so long ago. So it's pretty impressive writing overall. Yeah, and I'm going to say ER, but then also take a stance. We can't have four people talk about ER. So for me, the the the, the other show that I loved was when I started. That came out when I was an undergrad, and it was big with my pre med group, which was House. And so if you know, oh, House yeah, is a good one. Good. He's a he's a narcissistic, neurotic, you know, triple boarded something fancy. None of it's in the emergency department. Their depiction of the ED, although parts of it, are, it's usually not very accurate, mostly because uh, the people that work in the emergency department actually aren't emergency physicians. But yeah, but. But House would be would be one of my favorite shows, and again, not so much for the medicine part because it's I I would all the diseases that they diagnose people with are diseases that I would never ever think of because I I don't get past like the five hour window of what a patient's problem is. But to me, the dynamics were all there to where I met clinical instructors like the characters in House. So when I was in medical school, I was like, oh, you're a Dr. Cameron. Like I had preceptors who acted like some of the individuals on the show, so I felt like that was actually a pretty decent portrayal of some parts of medicine. You know, we should have a bunch of our IM colleagues come on and see if House actually represents what uh, IM rounds and, and yeah. like didactics looks like, because yeah. in my mind, it does. It yeah. really, really does. I imagine it's exactly what happens. So, and then I'll, and then I'll throw out there, I, I did preface it with drama, but I'm going to go with Drew Scrubs for the non-medical part of the show, like the other background, the funny, the comedy was actually pretty, pretty accurate. So I get, I give it credit. It didn't depict the EM emergency department very well. I think in one of the episodes, it says the dummy ER doctors and the, the dummy ER, the dumb EM doctors are just admitting everybody because there's no attending on. And I'm thinking to myself, I would love to work in that hospital where I could just admit people and not think about it. Be like, ah, you're, you need to go upstairs. I don't have to talk to anybody. That'd be great. But that's not actually the case. And, and can we just clear the air? Because I mean, I brought it up Grey's Anatomy and, and the thing with Grey's Anatomy is as, 
it's it's really interesting. I think we're the last generation to think of ER as the the motivating or or kind of you know career defining thing. But I had this pause where I was doing fire and EMS similar to John, and then Gray's Anatomy was coming on truly as I was or was on as I was pursuing medical school and training, not just thinking about, you know, what, what I want to do with my life. Nobody, like, I don't know what this pit thing is that they talk about. Like, I'm going to go work shifts in the pit and then and then the surgery and trauma people are constantly like, taking cool cases in the emergency department and there's no actual emergency department staff anywhere to take care of it. Like, what, what weird place is this? That show is so wrong, so bizarre. Yeah. When it comes- Agreed. Well, and then I guess we can talk about the fact that pretty much every like medical show that's come out in the last i don't know decade has been just hot garbage like almost unwatchable in the like the the resident and new amsterdam like all of them yeah, was that bad they are so 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 bad but to me and the parts that make them bad is they're, they're the parts that are easily fixable just like hire an actual physician to be your medical liaison and just whatever they tell you to edit, edit, you know, like there's on the resident, they show somebody putting in a chest tube and it's like a trach hanging out of somebody's chest wall. Like it's just, it's, they don't like, just get them, get the basics, right? Like the equipment at the bedside, right? The thing in the patient's chest, right? It's, it doesn't take that much to get some of this stuff, right? So true. It's so funny, true story. One of my really good buddies that I worked with on a committee actually I met her through some work with the uh, the AOA, the the American Osteopathic Association, not the Ophthalmologic Association, and she actually went on to do work as a consultant for TV shows. So it's pretty funny listening to her tell some of the stories where she'll provide medical insight, and they'll say, "No, no, no, that'll mess up the look of the shot." Or, oh. You know, well, how can we make it look realistic enough that people will I, I totally guarantee that they do hire people and then they just choose not to listen to them. Like, we don't really want to spend the time to get an actual chest tube. So here is something that kind of looks like a tube and it could go in that chest wall there kind of in a sort of fashion. And it might look okay. Doesn't it feel a little bit, though, like when a patient comes to the ER and then you tell them what they don't want to hear? And they're like, but I, I know I hired you for your opinion, but I wanted you to say this. <laughs> Yes. Uh, close absolutely close close so let let's so now so i so around the around the table all four of us loved emergency loved er still one of my favorite shows I have fond memories watching it I, I brought up house and drew and i brought up scrubs any other shows that like you think of just got the ed wrong everything else that you can think of <laughs> Every, everything else okay all right that's good to know. So the the question is, is that when TV got it wrong, does it change like expectations for people when they come to the emergency department? So our friends over at AI gave me a list of, this is the eight things that it thinks TV got wrong about emergency medicine. And I'd like to work through them and have the four of us just basically either tear it apart or agree. Is that okay? Can I, can I just start real quick with the number one thing? Like I saw the topic and the, the number one thing, slam dunk, no doubt in my mind thing that TV movies get wrong about the emergency department or medicine in general is CPR. Every single time it seems to be dictated like someone who shrugs their shoulders up and down while giving a nice massage to somebody. Like that's how it looks. 
and CPR in real life is like so much more brutal, right? Like we're breaking bones. Things are crunching. We're trying to compress the chest wall to the back of the spine. So we smush the heart in between to keep blood flowing. And it's like, we are doing stuff. There's the person's flopping all over the place, fat rolls, breasts, limbs, like they're moving and flowing with the time of the rhythm that we're dot, 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 staying alive, staying alive. Like, it is, it is completely different in real life. And I can't like, that's a number one thing that I see on a TV show. If, as soon as they do CPR and I see that, I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can't pay attention to this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It is kind of a litmus test. I totally agree. Although I got to tell you where my head was going at while you were setting up for the, the thing that they gets wrong the most is literally with sex in the closet. In an <laughs> like, 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 cause I know that does happen occasionally cause I've heard stories, but I'm telling you, it does not happen with the frequency that it happens on these shows. We ain't got, <laughs> we ain't got time for that. Right. Like, like there's no, <laughs> on an, in an eight hour shift, no way. No, not even close. Yeah. I don't have time to pack one more thing into my day. So, so I actually, so my Tanner was very different than that. So I think the thing that I so using ER is the the penultimate, like based on our input. I think the thing they get, so just in ER in particular, but the thing they get the most wrong is you watch these one hour shows or 30 minute shows, usually an hour. What really amazed me is that you kind of forget that they're trying to make it dramatic. They're making it engaging. You may go for shifts without seeing anything that is actually really that interesting. Not that you can't learn from it, not that you don't enjoy it. It's just how they compress what basically is like three years worth of really cool patients into like an hour minus the commercials. That's the thing that that really got me. And I really kind of already knew that, I guess, from EMS. But man, did it blow my mind when I started working at ER and I, and I realized that like every third patient wasn't going to be shot, stabbed, exsanguinating. A lot of colds, a lot of sniffles. Well, it's a joke with one of my chiefs is that sometimes we'll get the ER patient that it's like nine sick patients is one patient where they'll come in with like everything wrong. And I'm like, this is a TV patient. They have every, their hearts failing. Their lungs are fit. Like everything's going wrong. And I'm like, is there like a camera following me? Because this would only happen on TV. Because usually this is like nine different people that present. But one person decided to do it all today. Because as Josh mentioned, there are days, as John mentioned, there are days where it's just abdominal pains, coughs, and colds. That was literally my number two like thought was time time is completely irrelevant in these shows where procedures that take hours take minutes on the show and workups that would take four to six hours are done in like "Mm," by the next commercial and like it it also like doesn't help our patients out because when they come in they're like yeah you guys gonna knock this out here and i can get off to my next thing i want to do today in like 30 minutes or But the, the thing that does happen sometimes, I know we're talking about the things that don't happen, but you know what You know what gets me kind of excited where I feel like I'm actually on an episode of ER is when there's the car rescue out front in the ER yes, in the yes. emergency department. And then we're wheeling this patient with somebody doing compressions like on the gurney as we're going back to the trauma resuscitation room. And like we don't have the swinging doors that you bust open anymore like they had in the show, but it's essentially the same thing. Like that does – now – Maybe only once every other month, but it happens and it's freaking cool when it does. It is. It is fun when it does. That's super cool. Not for the well, patient. Yeah, not for the patient. Not for the patient. So cool. All right. So now we've, we've gotten our, our, are there any other ones the group wants to share before I move to this list? No, I okay. really want to go into your AI list, Andy. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is how good artificial, te- artificial intelligence is. Okay. All right. So TV things, 
again, this is I put into the AI monitor. What are the things that TV gets wrong about emergency medicine? So the first one, doctors never spend time gossiping in the lounge. If they took a 30-minute break every episode, nothing would ever get done. True, not true. False. 100% false. Yeah, I'd say it's false. John? I mean, I don't bother going to our lounge, so I'm going to say true. But I, I don't spend 30 minutes. But I do go to the lounge and gossip. Heck yeah. Or we gossip right at the dock station. Well, that's in, in my head, like a lounge isn't a thing because most ERs don't have that. But like if if I went through an entire shift and didn't cumulatively spend that much time talking to my colleagues or nursing staff, like that'd be not cool. Like it'd be boring. It wouldn't actually be a fun shift. No. I think I do want to clarify something, though, just thinking about our listeners out there, because, you know, we do have the folks that don't do medicine. What you may be thinking, we don't actually gossip, by the way, as you may think. We, we If a patient has a weird presentation, we gossip about the presentation, not the person. If if, if somebody comes with like, you know, I don't know, a, a Slim Jim stuck up their nose, th- that's the interesting part to us, not who it is. Uh, or, or even why it got there. Although sometimes it is germane to the story, I guess. But I think it's funny the things that catch our attention. It usually has to do with personalities or consultants or personalities of consultants or interactions of nurses. It, it's it's just the human things that I think most people would find funny on their job too. Yeah, and I was going to say most of my gossip is nothing to do about the actual job or patients. I'm gossiping about like the next fly fishing spot I want to go to or something completely unrelated to medicine whatsoever. Yeah, I, I think it's the over the course of a t- eight hour shift, I'll spend at least 30 minutes talking with somebody about something that's not has has nothing to do with patient care. And if you want to call it gossip, then I, I do that every shift. So it, it happens. So number two. You can't waltz into the ED and demand to see the attending physician. Just kidding. Unless you're a VIP or dying, you'll probably be waiting a while behind the real emergencies. Yeah, I mean, that's fair, right? I, yeah, mean, I don't think most people even right. know what an attending physician is to ask for. And that's assuming you're at a place that maybe has residents versus attendings versus something else. So not even necessarily applicable, but that, but totally true, right? Like if you come in demanding to the to the triage desk, the check-in desk, it's not going to be a good visit for you typically. I think maybe the the non-academic side of this would be the patient that comes in and refuses to see the PA or nurse practitioner and says I only want to see the doctor. <laughs> in which case I go in and usually say, "Hi, I'm the doctor on right now. I can't really see you right now, but if you would like to have someone see you right now, here's who's available." <laughs> and if they need help, I promise you they will talk to me. I, I I just echo that 100%. It's, uh, if you come asking f- to demand a scene attending, there's an automatic bias of, well, you must not be sick enough if you can talk to the person at the desk. And so like, it just, just don't do it. Just say, hey, I'm here. I'm sick. You'll get back quicker than if you demand something when you come to the emergency department. So, all right. Number three, CT scans don't show x-ray style skeleton outlines. And in real life, they just look like a messy brain blob or a soggy organ mess. Way less exciting. Yeah, I think AI missed the boat on that one. Number one, I'm not I'm not really sure what AI is talking about. We could have like a does AI understand medicine episode. But I will say like the thing that is missing now is the, you know, back in the days of ER and they even did in Grey's Anatomy is you had the actual films that would go up on 
the light box and that was x-rays but also i mean i remember shows where these would go up for ct scans too it's like you'd go to the reading room and it, and the entire head ct would just be on the wall and they're they're looking at all the different cuts of it and that is way more exciting and differentiated than scrolling through a computer screen looking at radiology results i'll give them that i think it's more exciting to have the blobs right so so i think what they got wrong is it's actually really cool how quickly we can look at our own images and make decisions about emergent things as opposed to how it was many years ago, right? Where you did have to wait for the film to develop and to look at all the slices individually. I, I love pulling up those things, but I, but I do think that what is harder is like most patients, interestingly enough, understand when you show them bones and bony structures, the blobs are what's confusing. But we've known that for years. That's why we love our radiologist friends to help us out when the thing is just a blob. But but we often know what those blobs are. So I think the the right the thing that AI got wrong is I think for the doctors it's still pretty interesting. I think for the patients it's far less interesting because it's far less clear what it is. Mm-hmm. You know what's interesting about it is having conversations with patients about the blobs. If you're talking about CT scans, I mean what we're good at or what I'm good at is picking up major, you know, I'm. What I am good at is picking up significant pathology, right? But I will look at, say, a, a CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis on somebody who has left lower quadrant abdominal pain and convince myself that maybe I see some stranding. And I go and I'm like, I don't know. There's some – and I literally said to a patient the other day, like, there's some schmutz in the area where you know, you're having tenderness. But to be fair, I'm not sure if it's clinically significant schmutz. And I need the radiologist to to weigh in. What I don't see is a massive infection, an abscess, a whole bunch of fluid where it doesn't belong or any of that bad stuff. And they looked at me, and number one, I think like the schmutz, like it, it was the wrong patient to apply the wrong terminology to. But but also, you know, it's one of those like, what, what do you mean you don't know what you're looking at? You <laughs> got a little too honest. No, it's it's funny though, because I used to offer every patient if they got a picture, I'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll come in and I'll review your images because they have computers in the room. And I don't do that anymore. Now it's like if there's something black and white I can show them, I'll show them. Otherwise, it's like the radiologist read it. If you want, you can look at the read on your phone. I'll go over it with you when I come in. But I found showing them the picture makes them a lot more confused than not showing them the picture uh, for most things. So, okay. AI. Not every patient flatlines as soon as they enter the department. The real code blues are stressful enough without inventing more near-death experiences. I think this one's close. I don't I don't think most people flatline right as they get it's they show up almost dead and then they become dead and then we either get them back or don't. Yeah. Or they, they come in dead because EMS is bringing them in. <laughs> yeah, and to be fair, most people don't flatline in anywhere in the world, right? So pu- public announcement if you don't know CPR or how to use an AD, it'd be a great time to learn it for part of the for for part of being a better human, right? Most people have a window where there is something other than flatline. Flatline is generally a, a really mo- bad thing. They're mostly dead, but not fully dead. Exactly, exactly. So it takes people a while to on-ramp onto the flatline interstate. So if you can catch them before they get on that road, it's 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 very helpful for us. Yeah, and I think that's it. It's the you know, the acutely decompensating patient that ultimately codes, loses a pulse. It's very rarely a systole as the presenting coding rhythm, right? And then, so that's, and then once they're in a systole, the chances of them no longer a systole for the 
is flat for the non, I mean, like, like there, yeah, there is yeah. no you know there's no beat but like there it to me it not 100 percent of the time but that's essentially an all or nothing rhythm right you know once you're in asystole your chances of no longer being in asystole no longer flatline are very very small your chances of regaining a pulse when you have a pulseless rhythm that shows something other than asystole is better yeah and maybe and maybe to counter ai's point i wish every depart every patient coded in the department because then it would be a witnessed arrest where i could see what was happening before they arrested on the monitor then treated effectively but yeah I, and we I, could get back to those really good cpr compressions that are actually done correctly as opposed actually to done mimic- correctly yeah shoulder shrugs I'm, i think we should all sing stand alive right now <laughs> all right all right the next one from ai diagnosing rare exotic diseases after a two-minute exam is pure fantasy real doctors obsess over common infections and injuries injuries not hypochondriacs WebMD worries i'll start th- this one is weird there are certain diseases that you can diagnose with a good history and physical in a few minutes like there are it's there are a couple and maybe it's because recently i've had a couple of patients come from from the airport from a foreign country and then it's like do you have malaria pop up they have malaria that's but like it, the really rare ones they talk about like on house and all those other ones i know house is an hour-long show but even in an hour you can't get all those tests done so yeah but just just to be just to be fair andy though the premise of the statement was rare diseases i would i would argue that malaria is not <laughs> a rare disease being the most common vector-borne infection in the world <laughs> However, however, to be fair, I presume and know that you meant in your in your own shop. But it does, it does have that influence, right? Like you, you went in the recency effect, and and right part of the on the job, you know, everybody would be shocked right now if somebody got diagnosed with Ebola. But a few years ago, everybody that had a fever and got on an airplane presumably had Ebola, right? It, so so there is this whole like you know, what it, what is common and common. I will say this, that I am with AI on the fact that we do not obsess about hypochondriac and all those things. But what I would say that people do get wrong about emergency medicine is they presume that just because we don't know what the answer is, that we don't care. What is really the case most of the time is all I need to know is how much time do I have to help you figure this out, right? Really bad things that kill you really fast, I need to figure it out. Really bad things that kill you really slowly, as much as I hate them just like you do, we, we've, got, we've, got a, we've got time, right? Time is like the friend and the enemy here, the frenemy, as it were. So that's actually what I care about is, is if I'm putting stuff on my differential, what are the things that are going to get you got now and what's not? Yeah, I mean, how often do we have the conversation? I'm, I very well might not be able to tell you what this is, but I'm going to be able to tell you what it's not. And it's not the things that are going to make you super sick or that keep me up at night as an emergency medicine physician. I still remember the time that I tried to diagnose as either dengue fever or yellow fever in a patient in residency. This is in residency. And uh, like, th- like I was, you know, looking everything up and like, oh, this all fits. You're in the right region, blah, blah, blah. And I ordered the test for it because it showed up and the lab canceled it. <laughs> I went, it was like a send out. It had to go somewhere else. 
And like, I was like, oh, my next shift, I'm going to check and see. Like I told the patient, I was like, we're probably not going to know. Here's the, you know, the treatment didn't matter anyways. It was all the same. And I was like, yeah, you'll, you'll be fine, but we'll send out just to try to confirm blah, blah, blah. And then they canceled it. I was so mad. I was like, this was going to be my infectious disease, like trophy right here. I, I saw, I recognized, and I sent the right test. Yeah. And then they said, that's a send out test. That's $5,000 to Mayo. And, yeah. send it. And, <laughs> and the patient doesn't have good enough insurance. We're going to cancel that one. Okay. I, I did recently have a patient come in telling me that they were infected with, with bot flies. Um, oh, this they, is an they, awesome they, dream. They proceeded, they proceeded to tell me how one gets infected with bot flies, which was very scientifically accurate. What was missing from being infected with pot flies is they had not traveled outside of the Midwest in years and had never traveled to an endemic region that that has bot flies. And that made for a very interesting conversation because they were convinced as much as I was they were they were as convinced they had it as I was convinced it wasn't physically possible for them to have it. And so you throw the ultrasound on and be like, boom, nothing there, nothing there. Say, Drew, your opinion did not agree with what they hired you for. Yeah, yes. (laughs) All right, second to last one. The treatment room in the emergency department magically transform into an OR. In reality, you're going to the OR floor if you need surgery, not getting cut open on a gurney. I thought thought they got that one right. I mean, there there, there have been the cases where, like, we'll ask surgery to come to the bedside to help or, you know, uh, call OB down to help do a delivery where we can kind of make it a little bit different than the, the ED suite, but... I think that's probably accurate. I feel like recess bays are essentially like pseudo ORs for those like emergent like thoracotomies or something like that. Like it it gets you, it bridges you to get to the OR. So it's kind of like an OR. I don't know. I mean, we just, just today did a simulation in our emergency department of a resuscitative hysterotomy, right? I mean, and that's, that is a surgical procedure. Yeah, you're right. Where a, you know, and think about a trauma, a trauma bay is essentially. It's, it's a dual purpose room. Yeah, you're right. Is, is a crash or it's got it's got or lights like it's got all the tools you need we have we have surgical kits there i'd say it's pretty close to an or all right well, you guys convinced me but I, but I, well i agree with you though andy i think the frequency is the key thing like most people that come in if you come in with your ticolitis you are not gonna get surgery in the bed or probably that day in the current healthcare environment those, those people if you if here's the deal, if you get surgery on a on a trauma bed, you you need a surgery on the trauma bed. Uh, <laughs> it's what I would say. You were going to die if that was not what happened. That's funny you mentioned the the you, ticolitis. You earned that surgery. You earned that surgery. But I I I had a lady that I diagnosed with with a perf, and I said, yeah, you're probably have to go, you are probably going to have to go to the OR. I just got the phone with the colorectal. She's like, here in the hallway because she was in the hallway bed. I said, no, 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 you're going to get admitted to the hospital. Like I had to like she immediately was really worried that it was going to happen in the emergency department hallway, and I was like, no, no, not no. You're going to go upstairs. They're going to get you a comfortable bed. It's probably going to happen tomorrow. It's all going to be fine. You'll be good. So awesome. All right, the last one. Now this is the last one that AI said of what. TV gets wrong about emergency departments. No one gets discharged from the ED with a smile and a lollipop. People are sick, dealing with complications and medical bills, not wrapping up a satisfying story arc. What do you guys think? Uh, some people do get discharged. 98% true. With smiles? Yeah. 98% don't. Yeah. I, I occasionally give packs of baseball cards to pediatric patients, so I guess that's kind of like a lollipop. Probably better. 
I mean, a lot of my worse. pediatric patients leave with a popsicle and a smile. Yeah, exactly. See? And a, and a pocket full of Zofran. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, here's the thing. I think most people that leave with, like, a smile had a had a had a clear expectation and that usually is something in my mind that's related to either you successfully fix something that was broken imminently or were able to kind of meet their what they wanted right somebody cuts their finger they come in it gets sewed up people are nice about it they get to go home it takes a reasonable amount of time they're probably going to leave with a with a smile on their face or you know they couldn't couldn't get the thing out of their kid's nose and you got it out of the kid's nose for them. They're generally, generally pretty happy. But I found almost all instances of smiles on their face is tied to length of stay, which has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. So that's why I'm down to like 2%. Yeah, for me, when I saw this one, it was peds patients typically leave, you know, the goal is for a pediatric patient to come in miserable, leave happy. So they, again, like Drew said, popsicle stickers, a funny little balloon out of a out of a glove, you know, whatever you can to kind of get a smile on their face. But as John mentioned, most other people, I, I can't get them seen quick enough to where they're going to be happy for me to get them out quick enough. Because if I don't hit that, like, yeah, they're just happy window, they're leaving. <laughs> they're, they're happy they're going, but they're not happy, you know, smile on the face. Oh, you know, intrepid dreams, unicorns, popsicles, like they, that's not how they view it because they were there for six hours to not leave with a diagnosis. Andy, you clearly don't use enough ketamine for patients. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I, I need to get like a spray bottle of it to walk in the room. I'm going to spray with some ketamine. I'll come back in about five minutes. I find, I find that the more I use ketamine, the more I use olanzapine, the happier patients are upon discharge. Well, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that would be in the, the case. To start spraying it in the air. All right. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate you coming to this episode, not knowing exactly where this was going to go, but I think it went went a pretty cool place. If you are listening, don't forget to follow us on social media, whether it's on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Head on over to the blog site, emoverz.com, and we hope to see you in person at an upcoming live CME event with ACOAP, where you'll have a chance to see the four of us for one of our live EM Over Easy shows. Until next time, thanks, guys. All right, and thanks for sticking around all the way to the end of that EM Over Easy episode. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as on the blog site, emovereasy.com. And don't forget, the four of us, Drew, Tanner, John, and myself, will be live and in person at the upcoming ACOAP Spring Seminar in sunny Orlando, Florida, April 27th through May 1st. So head on over to acoap.org today to learn more about our two live shows and other great speakers from around the country and around EM. Until next time. Thanks so much.